If you have your Bible, get it. I want you to turn it to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Hallelujah. Chapter 13. We'll take a text if no other reason than to say we did. Tonight we're going to go on a journey and I pray that God Almighty will enable you the ability to shut yourself off just momentarily from the trials, from the tribulations, from the doubt, from the unbelief, from the problems, and all you pastors, from the people. Miss Jonah says all the time, if we could just do this thing without people, it'd be a whole lot easier. Because when you got people, you got problems and persecution. You got trouble. Can you say yes? Hebrews chapter 13, lifting a text from verse number 7 in the New American Standard Version. Remember, would you just shout that word with me, please? Remember, those who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct, another translation said, their manner of living, imitate their faith. Let me give it to you one more time. Remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Remember those considering the result of their conduct. Do your best and imitate their faith. Robert Frost was regarded as America's best-loved poet. He, he was literally and verifiably the country's unofficial, if you will, poet laureate. And I suppose my favorite and possibly his most famous poem was entitled, The Road Not Taken. I'm sure many of you have studied that poem at one time or another. If not, at least you probably read it. Its closing lines are a clear description of living life divorced in entirety from any resemblance of what might be categorized as status quo. It says this, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Frost was a man with whom I found a, a, a whole lot of common ground through the years, some of which is illustrated by the words that are etched upon his tombstone. It says this, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. A lover's quarrel, you understand. From those words, it seems that Robert Frost, much as I, found himself in this world, but not of it. Loving it, but yet at times being at great odds with the world around him. This remarkable poet remained steadfastly aloof to the poetic movements and fashions of his time, much as I have remained steadfastly, if you will, aloof from the religious movements and the popular ministry trends of my own time. 
His poetry epitomizes the American affinity with three things. Number one, plain speaking. Number two, nature. And number three, the land. That affinity, of course, I share very deeply. Not only because I've on occasion been rightly accused of plain speaking. Let me give you another translation. Parsley has a tendency to tell it like it is. Not that only, but that I also have an acute awareness that the true glory and, and, and the majesty of God Almighty is displayed best when the earth and when the heavens and when all of creation shout it aloud and declare it from the mountaintops, the forests, the rocks and reels. Therefore, uh, frost writings are a particular source of revelation to my heart, revelation to my life, and tonight, revelation to you as I minister the word of the Lord to you. In his poem, let me, let me get here, a poem that is much less known than The Road Not Taken, uh, but nonetheless famous in its own right, taken actually from an entire volume of poetry, but nestled inside it, a poem entitled West Running Brook. Say that with me, West Running Brook. Say it. Say it again. Say it again. West running brook. I'm going to show you in a minute why Robert Frost found that so astounding. Frost speaks of stumbling uh, across uh, such a brook whose current flowed in a westerly direction, a what he described as a contrary direction. Would you say contrary? Shout it again. Say the brook was contrary. It ran westerly, contrary to all the other country brooks, which flowed in an easterly direction so that they would reach the ocean. Frost says that the brook does so so that it can trust itself to be contrary. Let me parenthetically insert right here. Can you trust yourself to be contrary? No, no, I'm going to ask you again. Can you trust yourself to be other than the preacher down the road? Can you trust yourself not to have to pattern yourself after the status quo religious rudiments of your day? Can you trust yourself to be contrary in your movement, contrary in your motion, contrary in your prayer, contrary in your petition, contrary to your power? Can you trust yourself to be other than what you perceive to be success in somebody else? Hmm. It could trust itself to be contrary. <laughs> A word chosen by the master poet to mean, watch me now, not opposite, say that, not opposite, See, I don't want to oppose anybody because I found out it's a whole lot better to be for something than against anything. Now, you missed a whole lot right there, preacher. 
I said it's a whole lot. You alienate a whole lot of people when you are against something. But you don't alienate anybody when you're for something. My suggestion to you tonight is that our pulpits cease to be filled with preaching about what we disagree with and what we don't like and who we don't accept and throw our arms wide open and say, send me your poor, your broken, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Not opposite, just different. I'm asking you a question tonight. Can you trust yourself to be different? Oh, oh, pause, pause, pause. Can you trust yourself not to be in the pack? They'll shout in a minute. Can you trust yourself when everybody else is going east but you heard a still small voice that said go west young man go west can you trust yourself that when everybody else is shouting for you to conduct a quiet service or can you trust yourself when everybody else is quiet to conduct a boisterous service can you trust yourself to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover or have you relegated the Holy Ghost to a back room somewhere on Sunday night because after all it is not user friendly to break a sweat in a long can you trust yourself? Contrary. Not antagonistic. You see, you don't have to be mad at anybody to be for Jesus. They ain't going to help me one bit tonight, Elder. I said, you don't have to be against anybody to be for Jesus. Contrary, not, not, not antagonistic, just alternative. That certainly seems an apt, if not perfect description of my life and of my ministry just a little bit to the left for conservatives or just a little bit to the right for liberals just a little bit out of step with the so often ordinary flow of things Frost continues to illustrate that the true reason for a life lived or a ministry manifested with such distinction can only be found in a revelation watch me watch me watch me of its source of its origin he says 
Not only is this brook mm, contrary, not only is it unusual because it flows, watch me now, contrary to all other brooks. I'm going to ask you again, can you trust yourself to flow contrary to every other brook? Can you trust yourself to be different than every other preacher? Can you trust yourself that you don't have to pattern your ministry after anybody else's? ministry. Can you trust yourself to get into the book of Hebrews and as God told Moses, build the house according to the pattern that I showed you and you alone when I had you alone in the mountain. This brook, Frost says it, this brook is not it's not contrary just because it flows contrary to all of the other brooks, but it's, it's unusual because it, it's contrary at times, watch me, it's contrary at times to its own current. Hear, hear it now. Frost says, see how the brook strikes a sunken rock. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. That trial, that that hard place, that that tribulation, that that seeming failure, that thing that you launched out into, but it didn't seem to work out just the way that you thought it should. That time when everybody pointed their finger at you and called you a failure. That time when you couldn't sleep because you felt like you had failed in what God had called you to do. That, those times when nobody seems to understand you and it seems that when you're preaching, you're speaking a foreign language and everybody is just staring back at you. That, 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 that hell-born attack is used by the brook used by its own current, watch me, to create a wave. <laughs> see the brook. See, see the brook hitting that rock and throwing itself up and backwards. 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 Just tell somebody and tell him he's going to take us back so we can go forward. No, you didn't have it. Come on, say it again. Let's go backward. Let's go backward. Let's go backward. Let's go backward. Let's go back. Have you ever watched a wave? Have you ever watched it gathering itself? And it seems that it has disappeared against the shore. That's how it seems to you when the ravens stop showing up. That's how it seems to you when the bills aren't being paid. That's what it seems to you in a recession. The size of the Great Depression hits your congregation and everything seems like it's falling apart. Can you see yourself rescinding, going backward? but having no fear. Can you trust yourself to be contrary to yourself? See it? Do you see it hit the rock and throw itself upward and backward against itself if if only for a fleeting moment to, to, to acknowledge or, or perhaps to draw strength from its place of birth. Do you see it? Do you see it looking back? It seems to look back, back, back to its source. 
in a salute of sorts, if you will, to its origin, as if somehow the brook instinctively knows that the strength to continue forward in a contrary direction to all other brooks, the, the fortitude, the, the faith to flow contrary to the status quo comes only from its heritage, which he appropriately calls the beginning of beginnings. It's only in that backward motion, that, that motion where it is looking back toward its source, that, that motion that is against the natural flow of things. It is, it is only in that backward glance, in that fleeting moment that we realize who we are and we realize what we are by the understanding and the acknowledging of who and what and where we have come from. Shove your neighbor on the shoulder and in 21st century vernacular, just go ahead and shout as loud as you can for the whole wide world to hear, who's your daddy? I'm gonna ask you again, because we got too many orphans in this thing we call the body of Christ. We got, we got a fatherless generation. We got a rootless generation. We don't understand where we're going because we have no idea where we came from. Shove somebody one more time and say, who's your daddy? So tonight, in the words of Robert Frost, by the grace and strength of Almighty God, may the current look back and pay tribute to the source as together we look back, back, back to the beginning of our own beginnings and by so doing flow in a current that is forever contrary to anything and to everything considered ordinary ever again. As I look back at the beginning of my own beginnings, I, I'm reminded of the prophetic word that was given to my pastor and to my mentor, actually in the nation of Brazil, a prophetic word that came to him and then was relayed to me all the way over. Let me find it. Y'all preaching me down, huh? Psalm 71, verse 18. Pay particular attention to the words stated here. Now also, when I am old, old is not a statement of time nor age, but rather of experience. I know some old, wise 20-year-olds, and I know some infantile 50-year-olds. Old. I do not consider myself old. 
in years, but old in experience. I have been in a foxhole or two. I have fought a devil or two. I have held the adversarial forces of darkness at bay once or twice before. I have stood on nothing and found a firm foundation. I have declared words that were not and saw things that were not come into being. I may have some gray hair, but I, I earned every one of them. And I didn't cover them over with shoe polish either. Behold, when I am old and gray-headed, God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this shout that it's worth. And your power to everyone. Watch, watch, watch who is to come. The 14th through the 17th centuries in Europe gave birth to a renewal of culture shaking proportions. It was a now season when everything changed irreversibly forever. Old ways of thinking. Am I preaching to you yet? Old ways of thinking and, and, and doing virtually everything were forever replaced in what became known as a renaissance. Shout that word, renaissance. It was a complete paradigm shift in attitude, in allegiance. Well, they even changed the way they looked. They changed their attire. It was characterized by three essential attributes. In these, we will find that tonight you and I are on the precipice of another culture-shaking, world-rearranging renaissance. Listen to me. First, there was a careful, honest examination of history. The wisdom of the ages was once again discussed openly and dissected with precision. No longer was it hidden away in some dark and dust-ridden cellar, secret chamber. Secondly, there was an exponential explosion of knowledge, breathtaking breakthroughs in the fields of mathematics, astronomy, the physical sciences, a, a host of other disciplines made a dark and confusing world all of a sudden much more understandable. While at precisely the same time, the invention of the printing press and the printed page brought previously unattainable information to vast multitudes. I'm going to stop right there. What do I have my hand on? Are you listening to me at all? Here's what happened then. There was an exponential explosion of knowledge. The printing press came into being. Multitudes received information they could never find before. Do you know that I can peruse an entire library in a matter of seconds by just a few clicks of a mouse on the instrument that's not even plugged in that I hold in my hand? I'm talking tonight into this camera. It's shooting up into the air, beaming down from space in a satellite and literally and verifiably covering the earth. We are in another explosion of knowledge. The problem is we got too many preachers going in there and looking at pornography instead of going in there and finding out how they can shake a word. I'm going to preach whether you let me or not now. 
Thirdly, there was a ghostly and ghastly. Um, you remember what it was like, those, those tales of sea monsters that could swallow up an entire ship and, and, and the speculative theories of scientific infancy, such as the widely accepted notion that proudly and adamantly proclaimed with errant certainty that this world was, after all, without question, flat. What are you believing right now? Watch, watch, watch. Those, 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 those infantile scientific theories were, were dismissed. They, they were proven to be but mere fables discounted by the unbridled exploration of the known world and its borders and boundaries were enlarged and expanded beyond all previous confines known or imagined. Now you've heard me say it and I'm about to shout it again and see if I can get some form of a response. There is much to be gained by a return to the discarded values of the past. If you believe that, just wave one hand like that. I, I think I don't know. Tonight, my purpose is to reach one hand way, way back to the tried and tested principles that have dethroned principalities and powers in the past, and then with the other hand, reach forward to the power, to the promise, to the potential of a new generation. Tonight, a generation. Tonight, a new generation. Tonight, a generational anointing is about to be released. Tonight, we come together in a generational consolidation and an amalgamation that is destined to produce an undeniable, preordained, God-sent reawakening, regeneration, a restoration and a rebirth, a resurgence and a renewal, a renaissance of biblical proportion and Pentecostal power. If you want it, jump to your feet and shout, send it tonight. You know that God, in his creative capability, often forms things in threes. It's not hard to look. The tabernacle was an outer court, an inner court, a holy of holies. God, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. Man created in his image a spirit, a soul, and a body. The soul itself comprised of three parts, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And when John the Revelator began to describe the living prince of glory. He said he was the God who was and is and is to come. Tonight I want us to focus on three generations. Would you shout that? Three generations. That generation which is behind us, that generation which is beside us, and that generation which is before us. You see, you are incredibly important to God because believe it or not tonight, he actually intends to use you as the connector, as the conduit between the earth-shaking exploits of generations past and the world-changing potential of the generation that is at this very moment just coming of age. You see, every former generation, every former Generation is a channel, an artery for the transfer of wisdom and knowledge and anointings which were gained from past kingdom experience. 
a conduit, a, an artery that brings those into the next and successive generation. God commanded Israel to teach its children the principles of his word to, to show them that Jehovah God had in the past and would in the future perform mighty, incredible, and overwhelming miracles on their behalf. He didn't want them to forget his presence and his power. If the adversary can become successful in severing that intergenerational connection, tell me now, God. He can render the entire body of Christ powerless and helpless against his devices. Hosea chapter 4 shouts it. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Now, I'd certainly never recommend Karl Marx as a role model, but it did say one thing that I know to be absolutely true. It is this, a people without a heritage are easily persuaded. That's the reason so many are blown about with every wind of doctrine. Today it's laughing and we build churches around that. Tomorrow it's anointing with oil and we build churches around that. The next day it's personal evangelism. We build churches around that. The next day it's a coffee machine in the hallway and we build a movement around that. The next day it's three-piece suits and we build a movement. The next day it's speaking in tongues and we build a movement and we put a fence around the whole thing. We give it a name. We stick a sign out in front of it and we declare to the entire world this is what God is doing and this is what God will forever be doing. It's the reason political masterminds, spiritual gurus are at this very moment easily persuading the undiscerning masses of a rootless generation untethered from its spiritual and historic moorings. The reason so many don't know where they are or who they are is simply because they have no idea where or what they have come from. They don't know where they're going because they've had unreliable guides on the road to both natural and spiritual maturity. But I got an announcement to make now. Tonight, that all changes forever. Say tonight. That changes forever. Tonight I feel like an old family patriarch that's uh, uh, taken a, a, a little orphan over to the side and, and said, now don't you believe the things they've told you? Don't you believe what they've said about you? Don't you believe that you are, no, 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 no. I know your daddy and I know your granddaddy and I knew his daddy before him and I'm acquainted with his great granddaddy. I can trace this thing all the way back for you. Don't you let anybody 
stand and point that finger under your nose and tell you who you are and what you are. I'm here to tell you tonight, don't you let them tell you to go to the back of the bus, not another time. Don't you let them tell you that your dreams are destined to failure, not ever again. I know your daddy, I know your granddaddy, and this I know to make the announcement in your ears tonight. You, my brother and sister, were born to greatness, so don't pay any attention to them. No matter what they say about you, I dare you to slap somebody a high five and tell them, forget what they said about you. I don't want you to be easily persuaded. I want you to be fully persuaded. Fully persuaded that everything God said about you is absolutely true. And everything the devil said about you is a verifiable, categoric lie. Somebody shout it. The devil is a liar. my help coming. I, I got to hurry. Let me talk to you, little acorn. Somebody just help me a little bit right now and say, go ahead, white preacher. Go ahead, take us back, take us back, take us back, and then thrust us forward. Let me talk to you, talk to you. Let me talk to you, little acorn. Fifty people in my church. Let me talk to you, little acorn, about the mighty oak. From which you came. And let me give you a revelation, little acorn, of what you're about to become. I got a problem tonight. I, I feel that I, I'm burning up with the fever of it right now. You know, I got to stop right. I got to stop for a minute. I, I need to tell you, you know, every, everything in the natural is just a representation of what's going on in the mm, supernatural. You see, you see, they, they got a thing called H1N1. That's what they call it now. They quit calling it what it really is. They quit calling it the swine flu. You know where God cast the legion, don't you? Into the swine. I never heard of a heavenly flu, have you? Well, I'm going to tell you about one tonight because what's going on in the natural is but a reflection of that an abhorrent reflection of what's going on in this room tonight by the Spirit. I gotta tell you, I've contracted a heavenly contagion. I've become a vector. I've become a carrier of a communicable condition. It's direction-altering and it's life-changing. Hey, 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 hey! No help. Hey! Hey! 
look for the door, it's too late. I know some of you didn't want to catch it, but it's too late. I, I know some of you tried to wash your spiritual hands, but it's too late. I know you tried not to breathe the air, but it's it's too late. And you've already come into contact with a Holy Ghost virus, and it's spreading. It's in the very air you're breathing right now. In fact, you... You're probably starting to feel some of the effects of it right now. So if your hands are, feel like they're tingling and, you, and they feel, you feel a burning sensation running up and down your arm, you already caught it. That's a, that's a healing anointing. That's... I'm about to lose my natural mind right now. I say I'm about to lose my natural mind right now. If you feel like you're about to lose your natural mind, let me, let me help you. You are. You're about to lose your natural mind, your way of doing things, your way of thinking is about to have an irreversible symptoms are spreading I I can tell you is there anybody that feels like there's something right rising up on the inside of you that's bigger than you if, is, 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 is you feel like you're about to shout well if you, if you if you got that symptom why don't you go ahead and let it out to shout. Dance like your mama. You're not going to get what you want until you go back and get what you lost. Quit now. It's spreading. You got, any, you got any symptoms? I got Holy Ghost OCD. Obsessive compulsive disorder. It's getting on you now. You trying to be all prim and proper. You trying to be all... me to church, Wendell. I got a Holy Ghost OCD. I got a Holy Ghost OCD. It's about to get on you. You're gonna, some of you about to get spiritual Tourette's. 
you about to say stuff uncontrollably shout words like uh, be blessed be healed be delivered be set free come out you foul demon spirit shout it treatment there is no cure there is no antidote you know what that means is once you catch it you can never get rid of it is to spread the disease further, faster, stronger. I dare you right now to spread the heavenly flu. Go ahead and do it. Touch somebody. Talk to somebody. Breathe on somebody. Shout with somebody. Dance with somebody.
All right, be seated. I'm about to tell you where it came from. I'm about to tell you where. About, 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 You know, sometimes you get a fever, you take the shakes. Oh, I would never do that. It's too late. God's filling everybody in this room with the Holy Ghost. Now! 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 Signs, wonders, miracles! Howard Carter was a, he was a, a proper British gentleman. He, small and slight of stature. He, he, he was a pastor of a great church in Birmingham, England. He, when the draft came for World War I, he, 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 he put in for exemption because he was a full-time minister of the gospel. And, and there was an exemption for that. But since Dr. Carter at that time was a member of the Assemblies of God, which at that point was not a recognizable denomination. Do you know that last night we ordained 350 men and women to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in this room? At that time, the Assemblies of God was not a recognizable denomination and therefore his exemption from military service was denied. So he was summarily thrown into prison. Did you hear me? That's when you'd quit. Not only into prison, but into solitary confinement for two years' time. No contact. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need to get alone until you're not alone anymore. yet. And since that's what you've been seeking, a crowd instead of him, how are you defining your spiritual experience, preacher? By his presence when you're alone or by your persona in front of the people? Why are you quiet? We have reduced success to the ability to turn a phrase and garner a crowd. There are 106,000 down at the Buckeye Shoe Saturday, and they won one ounce of anointing, especially when they played USC. You think a crowd? is going to get you anointed? 
You think everybody knowing your name and your business being successful is something in the eyes of God? Why is it quiet? In that dark, cold, let me get back to Carter. In that dark, cold prison cell, he was given the greatest revelation of the nine gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, wonder-working faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings, that today is the gold standard in every Pentecostal and charismatic church throughout the world, a revelation which we would never have had had Howard Carter not gotten alone for two years in solitary confinement. Come on, little acorn. 1921, he was asked to become the, the superintendent, the president of the, the, the Hampstead Bible School in, in London, England. They, they asked him to just fill in for a few weeks until they could find a more suitable candidate. Uh, he remained in that position for 27 years. While he was there, while he was there, I'm, I'm just talking to you about your granddaddy. You just, you just didn't know him. Let me introduce you to your oak, little acorn. While he was there, the bank served foreclosure papers upon his church. That's when you'd quit. He was given 60 days to pay the note or face foreclosure and eviction. Weeks and weeks went by, not a dollar came in. All of the students had prayed and fasted until they were weak and sick with hunger, but they were dismayed because their president, while they were fasting and praying and their bodies were getting weakened and sick, he, he went into the dining hall and ate a four-course meal three times a day. They looked at him as if to say, don't you know? Acorns are always screaming instructions at oaks. Am I preaching anything right? It, can you just go like this if there's anything connecting with you at all? Carter ate every meal. Yeah. The night before the day of the foreclosure, the foreclosure was at 11 o'clock, in the morning, the, the mail was last delivered in London at nine o'clock. So at nine o'clock the night before the foreclosure and eviction, Carter went and picked up the last mail drop of the day in London. In that mail drop, he found mm, a, a large um, envelope. He took that envelope, tossed it up on the mantel with the other mail, went in to undress to go to bed. He wasn't wringing his hands like you. He wasn't worried like you. He did not intend to lose one moment's sleep like you. No, 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 little acorn. He heard God say, go open that envelope. 
He was actually a little bit antagonized by the whole situation. After all, he was ready to go to bed. So he went in and he tore the cover off the envelope. It had no return address, no name on it. It was completely anonymous. And he, he reached in there and he pulled out a stack of brand new London pounds, British pounds. And so he counted them. It was the exact amount of money necessary not only to make the payment, but to pay off the entire note. Carter very calmly didn't do what little acorns would have done, run all over town, got on the phone, opened a new ministry magazine, told everybody how great they were. He tossed the British pounds back upon the top of the shelf, shook his head at God and said, only just? And said, what about that exceeding abundantly stuff? Little acorn, that is the communicable disease of faith that is spreading transferably all across the sound of my voice right now. A faith that says, why would I be worried? I didn't need it till 11 o'clock the next day. And God is always right on time on a dirt floor in Tennessee. Lester Sumrall was given a vision of the world falling off the edge of the earth into hell and God said, I'm going to require their blood at your hands. At the same time, Howard Carter was in England and God began to talk to him about traveling around the world to teach the gospel of Christ. God told him, I prepared a traveling companion for you, Howard Carter. And he even gave Howard Carter the words that the young man would say when God brought them together. Howard Carter, by that time, was the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Great Britain. But he was preaching a meeting in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. At the same time, Summerall was holding a revival in Oklahoma. And the Lord told Summerall to go to the camp meeting in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, 200 miles away. That's when you would have quit. But he went to that meeting in Eureka Springs and he ran into Howard Carter on the sidewalk after the afternoon meeting. Suddenly, up out of his spirit, words began to flow. He said, I will do what you do. I will go where you go. I will travel where you travel. I will travel by plane. I will do likewise. If you travel by train, I will do likewise. If you walk, I will walk. When you are old, I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will bless you. And he shook his head in disbelief and apologized to Howard Carter for what he said. Carter grabbed him by the hand, took him upstairs to his hotel 
hotel room, reached into a drawer, pulled out a note that he had scribbled those exact words on two years earlier when God said, I'm going to bring you a traveling companion. They agreed to travel together around the world. Carter left the next morning, but Summerall forgot to give him his address, forgot to give him any information. Summerall had no passport. He had to sell his car. It took him two months. That's when you'd have quit. Desire, the proof of desire is not in your lip service. It's in pursuit. He's, he, he lost him. God said, he said, someone said, where in the world is Howard Carter? He's been gone for two months. God told him nothing but to start at the bottom of the earth and work his way up. That's when you'd quit. That's when you'd say, I don't have the money. When you say, I don't have the money, what you're really saying is, I don't have the faith. He said, I don't know. So he boarded a ship and went all the way down to New Zealand with $17 in his pocket. He went down there and he got off the ship. That's as far as he could go. That was the bottom of the earth. At that time, up in the mountains, he didn't know it. Howard Carter was preaching a meeting. He asked God, where's that young man you gave me? I've lost him. God said, you haven't lost him. He's right now at Wellington Harbor getting off a boat. God said, tell this pastor to go down there. And when Lester Sumrall comes to his door, hand him this note and tell him to meet me in Australia. Sumrall got off the boat. That's when you to quit. He went, went looking for a full gospel church where they shouted. He stopped and asked people, are there any churches around here where they yell, hallelujah? He said, there's only one. The pastor lives right over there. He walked up to that door, knocked on that door, said, sir, excuse me. I'm embarrassed by this. You don't know who I am. The pastor stopped him. Said, I know exactly who you are. You're Lester Sumrall. Howard Carter sent me down here to tell you to meet him in Australia. <laughs> Howard Carter had a ministry friend, a big old two-fisted plumber by the name of Smith Wigglesworth, a man that walked up to 14 caskets and grabbed people out of them, shoved them up against a wall and said, live. And when he let go of him, he fell in the floor. That's when you'd have quit. But Wigglesworth picked him up again, shoved him against the wall and said, live. And he fell in the floor again. That's when you'd have quit a second time. But Wiggles, I'm putting something in you tonight. Make you not have any quitting sense grabbed him up again, stuck him against the wall and said, I told you once, I told you twice, I'm not going to tell you again. I said live and the man coughed three times and walked out of the funeral parlor. You Come on little acorn, come on little acorn. There was a man 
that never read another publication but the Bible in his life. There's a man that wouldn't allow so much as a newspaper to cross the threshold of his door. You tell me, I don't have enough faith to get a cold healed, much less raise somebody from the dead. Why don't you have a house cleaning? I ain't getting a bit of help around here. Come on, little acorn. He wouldn't pray for you unless God told him to. There wasn't none of this line them up and let me knock them down stuff. He wouldn't touch you unless the Holy Ghost said, I'm about to heal her. Go lay your hands on her. He had an 89% success rate of every person he ever laid his hands on. Come on, little acorn. At Summerall's last meeting with him, Wigglesworth wrapped his arms around him and prayed until tears ran down Summerall's face. And he said, let the spirit of faith that is in me come in this young man. There's a transference of a tangible anointing that can be caught. Summerall received that anointing. He preached the gospel in Chiang Kai-shek's China. He preached the gospel in Hitler's Germany and Stalin's Russia. He, he was a man that grabbed up a little girl in Billy Bid prison in Manila, the Philippines. Scream, come out of her, you foul spirit. I saw the hairs. He'd opened a little envelope for me, showed me hairs that he'd taken to some of the highest schools, uh, uh, universities in the world and had them analyzed and found that they were neither human nor of animal origin. They were pulled out of the realm of the spirit in the hands of that little girl why psychologists and medical doctors watched her in a solitary prison cell as bite marks came all over her back. Summerall walked into that room and said, you foul spirit, come out of her! And the next day, the headlines of the Manila paper read, the devil is dead. He said that wasn't very good theology, but it was true. That little girl became one of the greatest evangelists of the gospel of Jesus Christ ever known in those islands. They said, Summerall, what do you want? The mayor of Manila said, what do you want? He said, I want the city square. He said, what do you want it for? He said, I'm going to cast out devils. I'm going to speak with other tongues. I'm going to pray for the sick, and they're going to recover. The mayor gave him the key to the city, and six weeks later, 150,000 men and women had come to Christ. He was in Central America. He found a witch doctor pouring blood and alcohol into the mouth of a bullfrog and then drinking it out and making satanic incantations. My pastor walked up to him, slapped a left hand on a right jaw, a right hand on a left jaw, and shouted, come out. The man fell on the floor with the ground with a thud and got up speaking in other tongues. I'm just trying to tell you, little acorn, what kind of virus you got flowing in your veins tonight. Watch me, watch me. That man got up speaking in other tongues and became an evangelist. My pastor went back to his little room, little hut, piece of, piece of material hanging over an open place in the wall, sweltering heat, sweat running off of his brow and his little cot. 
Give me a chair. Hurry. Give me a chair. Sweltering heat. He said suddenly a foul odor came into the room. The curtains stood out on edge. He could see his breath crystallizing. As he breathed, it became so deathly cold. He said, I recognize that spirit. My bed began to shake. It shook all the way out into the middle of the floor. That's when you quit. He said, I raised up in that shaking bed. And he said, devil, I recognize you. I cast you out of that witch doctor today. Now in the name of Jesus, go! Shout go! Shout go again and a thousand homosexuals will be set free. Shout! go. Watch me. He said that bed stopped shaking, settled down in the middle of that room. That's when you'd have wrote, written a new book, got on every television station you could and told everybody you were the greatest evangelist in the world, how the devil obeyed you. But not him. He raised up in the bed, looked out that window and shouted, hey devil, get back in here. He said, that evil presence filled the room. That bed started shaking again. He said, when I came in this room, my bed was against that wall. Now in the name of Jesus, put it back. He said, his bed shook against that wall. And he said, now get out of here. Get on your feet, little acorn. Get on your feet, little acorn. Say, I've got that anointing. I've got that authority. I've got that contagion. I've got that disease. Now repent, repent, come on, repent. Repent for not using it. I release to you now an authority. I release to you watching on the Great Day Star Network right now. I release to you in the name of Jesus. I know this may seem unorthodox to you, but as I told you at the beginning, with Robert Frost's poem, I, I've always been just a little out of step. I flow just a little contrary. And tonight I look back and I release to you an anointing. You that have been bound by demon spirits, you that cannot sleep, you that are tormented, you that are bound to addictions, you that cut your own body and bring harm to yourself, you businessman, you've lost everything you had in this recession and you've got a silver-plated gun in your drawer right now and you've been contemplating taking your own life. In the name of Jesus, I bind every spirit but the Holy Spirit and I declare for you to be free in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Lay your hands on your belly. Lay your hands on your belly. Shall I receive the anointing of Almighty God? Yoke destroying, burden removing. The river flows in me now. The power flows in me now. The victory flows in me now. I have 
been infected that healing anointing that deliverance anointing Smith Wigglesworth walked by a man on a train he fell out of his seat and said my God man you convict me of my sins an alcoholic got born again by doing nothing but sleeping on the sheets where he had slept the night. Oh, touch your neighbor right now. There's a flow of the anointing right now. Get across the obey. Get across the aisle. Touch your neighbor right now. Let the tangible anointing of God Almighty flow and multiply. Flow and multiply. Flow and multiply. Give us souls, God, lest we die. Give us souls, Lord, lest we die. May the apex of all Christian endeavor become to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior. We are irreversibly, undeniably, unalterably changed forever. Burst our churches wide open with the glory of God. Let the manifested tangibility of the power of a resurrected Christ be loosed in every church, in every city, in every town, in every hamlet, in every village, I say to you, be saved, be healed, be delivered. Somebody give God praise. Give him glory. a renaissance. Take every anointing that dethroned principalities and powers. Bring it into a new generation in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Send a sweeping worldwide Holy Ghost revival in Jesus name. If you want it, cry out and receive it. stayed in that prison cell for two years. Somebody get along with God. Somebody get along with God. Somebody draw a circle around yourself and say from this night forward everything about me changes. Everything about my ministry. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon. Mm -hmm.